0: Life is a journey. How many of you know that? And there's nowhere along that journey to stop. When I was early in ministry, I preached a message called "Going Up the Down Escalator." Now, I want to know how many of you have ever tried that. That's all. Come on. There's got to be more of you sometime or another. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on, fess up. And how many of you fell trying to do that? Anybody want to? Yeah, exactly. But you know what happens on an escalator if you're trying to go up the down escalator and security doesn't escort you out. If you stop, you lose ground. And I'm convinced that Christian faith is similar to that. There's nowhere for us to stop and just coast that we should always be growing. Our theme verse when I graduated from Bible college, our class theme verse was, Brethren, I count not myself as apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth to those things that are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. We have not yet arrived. There's more to learn, more to grow, more to know, more to do. In fact, I wish I could tell you that when God called me to ministry, he gave me a great burden for lost people going to hell. And I certainly had that burden, but it wasn't the primary source of my call. It was annoyance. (laughs) I was sitting in um, camp and then going, actually it was while I was in Bible college, God formulating that call in my life. And I thought of all the people I knew that were always at church I mean, they came, they were faithful, but they had the same problems, the same testimonies, and the same prayer requests every week. And something about that felt wrong to me. How many of you believe there ought to be something more than what you had last week? Yesterday's manna is going to be full of worms. You need fresh manna today. Hello? Come on, help me this morning. We need to be growing. And so I feel like one of my primary calls is to provoke you to love and to good works. That's a, that is a, a Bible verse, by the way, to, to spur us on. So when we come to this next miracle of Elijah, and we've seen all the things that God does through the supernatural, confrontational, counterintuitive, uh, revelatory, refreshing, prophetic, and victorious, sometimes the supernatural comes to enable us to move forward when we hit an obstacle that it's impossible for us to move forward. Sometimes moving forward in my faith requires God to do something supernatural. Now, I'm going to take just a minute and discuss methodology. Is that all right with you? What is the methodology for this message? A little bit of hermeneutical training. Is that okay with you? Thank you. Seeing no objection, I will move on. One of the great dangers, and I want you to hear this. This will help you. One of the great dangers of the Pentecostal Charismatic Church is what is described as allegorical preaching. What is allegorical preaching? Allegorical preaching takes a story from scripture, allegorizes it, and then attaches whatever meaning to it you want to attach to it. So you can talk about all kinds of stories in scripture. In fact, I I read a message where a guy preached that we're to meditate on the word of God because cows are a clean animal and a cow chews its cud and therefore we should ruminate on the word of God. Now, those things are both true, but they're not related to each other. I don't read the word because a cow chews its cud. And some things are in the Bible just there to give historical context. Here's another one. In the book of Acts, while Paul is on a ship going to his trial, there's a great wind, Eurycliden wind that blows, and the ship hits a terrible storm. And it says that because they were afraid of crashing the ship, and all hope of being saved was gone. They let down four anchors. And then the man went on to preach that there are four anchors to our faith. Salvation, baptism in the Holy Spirit, divine healing, and the return of Christ. Now here's why that's so dangerous. Well, that makes sense to me. None of you keep reading because when the storm stopped, they cut off the anchors. Why did they put down four anchors? Not to teach us a lesson, but to show us how bad the storm was. Is anybody hearing me this morning? We have to be careful. Not everything means something in Scripture, but a lot of things do. And the challenge is to understand that in every Scripture there is one single meaning. There can be several applications of that and multiple or uh, principles and multiple applications that come out of that. And the reason I'm telling you that this morning is I'm going to allegorize this story a little bit. (laughs) But I want you to know that we have to stay anchored to the word, and that means we don't add to it. Come on. And we don't take away from it. Why am I a Pentecostal? Why do I believe in speaking in tongues? I believe in speaking in tongues because when I read the book of Acts, if I believe in speaking in tongues, I don't have to explain anything away. Help me now. I'm not going to take anything away, and I'm not going to add anything to it. So in this next miracle of crossing the Jordan in 2 Kings Chapter 2, here's what I want you, to, want you to grab a hold of. As he's on the way, there are places that Elisha is encouraged to stop following Elijah. And it names four cities, Gilgal, uh, Jericho, Bethel, Gilgal, Bethel, Jericho, and the Jordan River. Why does he name those four? Because that's where they stopped. (laughs) However, I also believe there's a reason that God highlights where they stopped and that Elisha was given an opportunity in those places to stop following And when God tells Elijah, go to this town, and Elijah tells Elisha, you don't have to follow me anymore, I do think there's a safe spiritual significance that can be drawn from that account because the Holy Spirit calls attention to it. And I want to suggest to you this morning that all along your journey— there will be opportunities for you to say, I've done enough, I've worked hard enough, I've grown enough, I'm comfortable where I am, and stop progressing in your faith. And the moment you stop progressing in your faith, you're either perfect and going to walk to heaven, or you're dying. I, um, I shouldn't say this, but you're just looking at me anyway. But I've listened to preachers all my life. And I just get, I get tired of listening to a preacher who hasn't experienced anything new in his relationship to God in 20 years. What happens is they move into administrative roles and then get out of the context of touching lives. And for you, what is God doing in your life right now? Some years ago, when I was directing Chi Alpha at Iowa State University, uh, we weren't able on this particular night to meet on campus, so we met at the church. And I went around the group of students, it was a small group, and I said to them, I want you to tell me one thing that you want God to do in your life. One thing. And I went around the room and all of them said what they wanted except for one individual, one student sat there and said, I'm not gonna answer that. And I said, it's okay, just say I want God to do more of my life. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying anything. I'm not answering that question at all. He had no idea what he wanted God to do. Would it surprise you if I told you that it wasn't long after that he walked away from his faith? Because if you're not climbing, you're regressing. There's no rest area. Now he will give you rest... Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. But he doesn't say, Go to a cave. He says, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And so the principle is this as you're working, as you're growing, as you're pressing toward the mark, recognizing that we've not yet arrived in that journey, as long as you continue to journey, He will give you supernatural rest and refreshing. It comes in the journey. So I want us to pause at each of these cities, understand what they were significant for and what that might mean to us today. Number one, 2 Kings 2 verse 2, they stopped... At Gilgal. And I'm going to suggest to you that Gilgal is the place of conversion. And I'll show you why I've come to that conclusion. The Bible says in Joshua chapter 4 verse 19, on the 10th day of the first month, the people went up from the Jordan and camped at Gilgal on the eastern border of Jericho. Joshua set up Gilgal, the 12 stones they had taken out of the Jordan. He said to the Israelites in the future," When your descendants ask their fathers, what do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground so that all the people of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and that you might always fear the Lord your God. Gilgal was the first city they stopped at when they had left Egypt behind and entered into the promised land, and it was at this point that they built an altar of remembrance. How do you get in spiritually into the promised land? Some people will say, well, I think the promised land is heaven. Well, it's not heaven. It's a place of overcoming spiritual life. How do you know it's not heaven? Because they had to fight battles in the promised land and you're not kicking any demons out of heaven. They're already gone. So it's about this place. Where does that overcoming Christian life start? Where do we have an altar of remembrance? It's when we made a commitment of our lives to Jesus Christ. That's where our promised land journey begins. Gilgal was the place of conversion, the place of beginning of new life in their relationship with God. It was also the place that the rite of circumcision was reinstituted. In Joshua 5, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again and after the whole nation had been circumcised, they remained where they're in the camp until they were healed. And this is what the Lord said to Joshua, today Listen, today I've rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So the place has been called Gilgal to this day. The name Gilgal means a circle of stones And a rolling away. It's an altar where you make a commitment to go into the promised land. And the reproach of Egypt has been removed from you. And you've been sealed and signed as a child of God. What a wonderful place for us to be. In that place that we remember. How many of you do remember when you made a commitment of your life to Jesus? Let me see your hands. You remember that day. I wish I could tell you that I remember the day. I remember days, I grew up in church in my early years, and any time an evangelist, preacher, an altar call was given, they'd get one convert because I'd go to the altar and pray and pray and pray. I don't know. I think I got saved a thousand times. But I will tell you, there was one year at camp. This might help somebody. My first year at boys and girls camp, they gave us cards. And we had to write down on the card what Jesus did for you that week. And you had to put something there. You couldn't go to camp and not have Jesus do something for you. And those were going back to the pastor. So I checked and I recommitted my life to Christ. And and I gave some kind of testimony. Because it was kind of true. The next year, I came back to camp, boys and girls camp, the same card, the same marks. And they were, did you get saved? Did you recommit your life to Christ? Were you filled with the spirit? Were you called to ministry? Because that's all God could do at camp. <laughs> One of those four things. And I, and I looked at that and I thought, well, I can't check. I'm just a kid. I can't check. I recommitted my life to Christ again. They're going to think I'm a yo-yo. I had the false assumption someone's going to actually look at those cards. But it was at that moment, I got to tell you what happened in that moment. At that moment, as I looked at that card, here's what I had a revelation. From the commitment I made last year to camp this year, I have been sure of my salvation. I don't know where it stuck, but I do know where I build an altar of remembrance. Is there anyone in the house right now? So I'm not the guy that says, if you don't have written in your Bible the day and the hour, the month and the year that you gave your life to Jesus, you're you're, uh, not going to heaven. But I will say, if you can't testify to an altar time that you recognized what God had done in your life and that the the reproach of Egypt had rolled away, you need more than than a head knowledge. You need more than a catechism. You need more than a Bible program you need to have experienced the saving power of Jesus Christ and the reproach of Egypt needs to roll off your back, and that only happens at the place of conversion. It is a wonderful place. They entered into the promised land and they recommitted themselves as the people of God and the reproach of Egypt was rolled away. Why? Would God send Elijah when Elijah's told Elisha he's leaving shortly, he's going to be gone. Why would they go to Gilgal and Elijah would tell Elisha to just stay there? Because some people never move past their conversion experience. Well, I gave my life to Jesus when I was seven and bless God, I haven't changed yet. Saved, satisfied, and petrified. Part of the chosen, frozen. It's wonderful that you remember that conversion moment. If you don't remember it, you need to have one. Admit that you're a sinner. Believe that Jesus died for you and confess him as your Lord and you're in that place. Build an altar there. Remember that moment, but for for the... kingdom's sake there ought to be something don't you think that's happened in your life from that moment until today some kind of growth that you've moved on and Elijah said to Elisha you can be comfortable here sit here and enjoy Gilgal yeah I'm a Christian and that is not the will of God for any of you to camp out at Gilgal because hear me if you camp out at Gilgal you're going to miss the new anointing that God has for your life. You can't experience a newness in your relationship with God by camping out in the past. What has changed in your life from your altar Gilgal moment? Oh, I'm glad you're saved. I'm glad you know you're going to heaven. But in the kingdom, that isn't enough. You've got to be growing. You should know more about the Lord today than you knew last year. You should have more scripture memorized today than you had last year. You should have deeper experiences in God than you had last year. There ought to be something that you testify because it is not the will of God for you to camp out at the place of conversion, right. but for you to keep on going, to grow and move on from that place. Some stop at the beginning of their journey. Second, as they go along, oh, this is good stuff that's coming next. How many are okay with me so far? Yeah, keep going, Pastor. You haven't stepped on my toes yet. Oh, I'm coming for you. I'm coming for you. Because next they go to Bethel. Bethel. And when they come to Bethel, he's given the same option. Look at verse 4. Elijah said to him, stay here, Elisha, Gilgal. The Lord has sent me, I'm sorry, that's to Jericho. The Lord has sent me to Bethel. That's the next place. So they went down to Bethel in verse 2. They go back to the place of Bethel. What is Bethel? The name Bethel means house of God house of God. The Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 12 that the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel, pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. He built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. From Abram's day till later on and through the Old Testament, Bethel becomes the house of God, the place where people meet God. Now we fast forward a little bit and we understand the journey of Jacob. And Jacob is quite a study in himself in alter experiences that Jacob moves from being the deceiver to being Israel prince with God. And part of his journey was to also experience God at Bethel. Jacob left Beersheba, set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun was set. And he had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth, the top reaching to heaven and the angels were ascending and descending on it. And I'm going to stop there because that's highlighted in John's gospel that Jesus is the ladder between heaven and earth. And it's Jacob that had that revelation. Here's what he says in that moment in that dream. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. There's no, this is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of, Je, uh, of heaven. Early in the morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head, set it up as a pillar, poured oil on it, and he called that place Bethel. It represents the place where God and man meet. We all need to have worship experiences where we feel the manifest presence of God but the second tempting place to stop is if you don't stop at the place of conversion some people stop at the place of worship it's all about the worship experience that's all that they know I believe in the manifest presence of God I've heard people say well I don't live by feelings yes you do Anybody here that doesn't live by feelings, come up here. I'll put your hand on a table, and I'm going to hit the end of your finger with a hammer, and we'll see if you live by feelings. (laughs) How many of you know when you're sick, when you're hungry? That may be a perpetual state of being, but there are certain things that we live by and I will tell you that if a period of time goes by that I don't feel God I want to make sure I haven't died and when I move into worship I want to feel the manifest presence of God I don't want to just experience a song or be in awe at the worship team and we have as good a worship team as anywhere in the country and you can sit back and watch and that's a temptation you need to avoid because it's not about the worship team entertaining you What is their passion? What's Pastor Nathan's heart? That we will gather together as believers and move from here into the throne room, into the presence of God, that the presence of God will be manifest among us. And it is a wonderful thing to experience something more than just an intellectual stimulation, but a spiritual encounter with the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what Pentecost was built on. We, sing the, we became guilty for a while in Pentecost of singing the same old songs the same old way that we weren't even listening to it. I was alive, Pastor Tim, during the charismatic renewal. And I remember being frustrated that the Lutherans and the Catholics and the Methodists were all starting to speak in tongues. And I remember praying, I actually said this as a young man, I was very young then. And I remember praying. I was frustrated. I said, God, what are you doing? That's that's our story. That's our message. We're to be telling that. And I heard him say, and you haven't. And anytime my people stop, I will find another people who will go. And I never complained after that. I made a determination that I want to walk in the manifest presence of God. Is anyone hearing me now? When we gather in corporate worship, it's not enough for me to sing a song or be moved by the music. And by the way, as you think about all that's happening, you need to read the great hymn book of the Bible, the book of Psalms that says you can prophesy with words. You can also prophesy with instruments without lyrics, that there's something supernatural that God does. Look what they did when they went into battle. They began to sing what did they do when they dedicated the temple there are always times of singing and lifting their voice and glorifying God and the scripture is true that God will inhabit the praises of Israel when the people of God gather together who I'm telling you God will move in the house and we need that come on is there anybody here this morning we need the manifest presence of God among the people of God or we're no more than a religious club But some people camp out there. You live like the devil Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, Saturday, and come to church on Sunday and hope to experience the manifest presence of God. Come on. Well, I know I'm, I know I'm okay because Sunday I felt his presence. I was at Bethel, God was there, and justify themselves because they sensed something. Well, you are hardwired by God to spiritually sense Him when He moves, but it isn't the will of God that you camp out at Bethel. And what's the? What is the best indication that you've camped out at Bethel? <laughs> I'm scared. It's when you start to fight about worship. That isn't worship. It's not the way we do it. Now hear me. It's not about how you do it. It's about how he manifests his presence. And we can get so used to what we And it doesn't matter if they're choruses. I'm convinced that people will fight for the music they were listening to when they were at Gilgal. The music that they were experiencing when they made a commitment to Christ. And uh, young adults and, and students that are in the room right now, I want to talk to you. You can look at my generation and say, why won't they move forward? Listen, you are looking at who you will become. a day will come that they'll be doing something weird you know with with bending sound and a star trek musical device and you'll say that's not worship why it was worship when we sang you camped out at bethel because god has come on a fresh word and a fresh revelation and a fresh manifestation for every generation and God will never let his manna become stale and wormy. Worship is not where we camp out. This isn't all there is. This is, is it vital. Absolutely. Gilgal is vital. Bethel is vital. The manifest presence of God is vital. But don't camp out there and make that the God of your life. It's an avenue whereby we experience God. You can stay here, Elisha, if you want. Stay here at Bethel. This is where God shows up. Just stay here. (laughs) I don't know why I'm doing this. Another example you've camped out at Bethel is when the auditorium becomes the house of God. This isn't the house of God. I mean, I grew up and it was the house of God. If you ran... God was going to kill you. We had a work day at a church once, and I was eating an apple. No, I was drinking a soda. I wasn't eating an apple. I was drinking a soda, and I stepped outside the door to drink my soda, afraid that it's was going to violate the house of God. Isn't that silly? It's ridiculous is what it is. When we equate it with a place, because you are the temple of God you are the, this is simply a building that we have set aside to gather together and worship him and you are the house of God. God cannot dwell in a house made with hands but only in those eternal spirits that he's created will he abide and we carry that with us. Please don't camp out at the place of worship don't camp out at the place of manifest presence, don't live your life by that, don't live at the place of conversion. And don't stop there and don't stop at the place of worship don't stop there some never move beyond the worship experience and I love it I love worshiping God I love to feel God <laughs> but if the only time you open your Bible is when you walk in here you've camped out in the place of worship If the only place you sing is when you come in here, you've camped out in the place of worship. It needs to be integrated into every part of your life. Don't camp out in the worship experience. Third, then, they go to Jericho. And he says, God's called me to Jericho. You can stay here at Bethel. Why don't you stay here? Now, what's the... What's the significance of Jericho? How many know the story of Joshua fought the battle of Jericho and the walls came a-tumbling down? That was something I never, I'm old enough to remember in church when we had Jericho marches. Anybody ever do a Jericho march? Wouldn't hurt us to do another one, but no one ever explained why. I was always afraid the building was going to collapse because I read in the Bible the walls fell. It. It's like, why are we doing this? Why are we doing this? it's because the picture of the strongholds of the enemy will collapse and I get all that now but I didn't as a kid I thought we are all going to die <laughs> Jericho was a place that was erected it was there as a as a challenge against God it was the first battle that they experienced and they weren't to fight with weapons of warfare. Hold up your hand if you know the story of Jericho or do I need to preach that and then we'll be here till second service starts. Hold up your hand if you've at least heard of Jericho. And you know how they walked around it and walked around it and then walked around six times and then the seventh time they shouted and praised and I've read all this. Oh, you know what happened was they were so loud that the sonic vibrations began. You can believe that if you want. I'm going to tell you what, on the seventh time around, God gave every angel a sledgehammer and said, this is a smash party. Let's... Knock the walls down. It was a supernatural moment. And God was saying to them, when you go into battle, it's not by weapons of your strength. It won't be by your might. It's setting a tone for everything that would happen. It's the first victory that they experienced. They'll go right into a defeated AI, but that's another story. But here at Jericho, it was a phenomenal story of the victory that God wanted to give his people. It should have set the tone for the future of Israel. I say, well, that's wonderful, isn't it, Pastor? No, it's not. Because some people camp out at the place of victory. And I don't mean every victory, but at the place of their first victory. Hopefully you can remember, after becoming a child of God, The first spiritual battle that you had and the first victory that you won. For some, it was deliverance from a habit, drugs, alcohol, tobacco. For others, it was tithing when they first met that challenge and and they obeyed God and he answered them. Or it was leading a family member to Christ. But we have some spiritual victory over your anxiety, over mental health issues. I don't know, physical healing that might have occurred. I can tell you when we were pastoring an old line and Crystal was so sick that she couldn't swallow. She was a baby in my lap and she couldn't swallow anything. We tried to give her Pedialyte. We tried everything. She couldn't swallow. Her throat hurts so bad and she's crying. Got a fever and it was another time. God, where are you? Come on, parents. God, where are you? I didn't know what to do. So I called Josh over and I said, he said what's wrong with Crystal she's really sick will you pray for her I don't have any faith I was just mad he walked over laid his hand on her head and he said Jesus take her pain away and let her sleep within 30 minutes she was eating resting and asleep you can say whatever you want But that was an early miracle victory for me. And I'm so glad to know that I serve a healing Jesus. But if that's the only testimony to healing that I own, I camped out in the wrong place. Come on. There needs to be more testimonies along the way. And I don't want to be, um, I don't want to be crass. I really don't. And maybe I shouldn't say this, and maybe I'll get chewed out later, and frankly, I don't care. But Carol can tell you how long someone has been in an administrative position in ministry when she hears them preach, because all of their stories ended when they went into administration. I get tired of hearing stories and the most current thing you can tell me was 20 years ago. I'm glad you have a story from 20 years ago. I'm glad you have a a story from 30 years ago. And I'm glad for pastors that are in administrative roles that break that mode, that bust through that and are determined to lead people in righteousness and godliness. I was preaching a meeting and Pastor Don Miller superintendent from Southern Missouri was there and I listened to him talk about how much they needed an outpouring and they were going to pray across State that's a man who's saying i'm not content with a story from 20 years ago we need some stories today is there anyone in the house we need a story to tell now that's current that's fresh what did jesus do for you yesterday don't camp out in yesterday's place of victory don't camp out there i'm so glad what he did for you a long time ago but is he doing anything today Is he doing anything today? I remember when, for my generation, when your memories are bigger than your vision, you're dying. I've got a lot of history. And I have more road behind me than I have ahead of me. Is anyone in the same boat with me? Unless the Lord comes. But I'm just saying to you, I am not going to sit back and spend my time reminiscing at what was. I feel like uh, Caleb in the Old Testament. I'm not 80, but he was. And he said, give me, what do you want, Caleb? I want this mountain. Give me this mountain. There's another mountain to climb. There's another battle to win. There's another challenge to face. And when I go down, I want to go down swinging. I want to go down climbing. I want to go down fighting because I have a forward-focused vision to continue to build the kingdom until he calls me home. I can't live on yesterday's memories. I want a fresh miracle today. Come on, is there anyone in the house? We can't live on what he did what he did becomes a foundation for what he's going to do. There are more battles to be won, more battles to be overcome. Don't stop at the place of victory. So then, Elisha says, I'm not leaving. I'm going with you. Wherever you go, I'm going to go. That's what God called me to do. And they come to the Jordan River. Don't stop at the place of the impossible. Don't stop at the place of the impossible. In Joshua chapter 4, the children of Israel enter the promised land by crossing the Jordan River on dry ground. And Joshua says to them, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things. And he said, this is how you will know that the living God is among you. And the water rolled back. They went on dry ground into the promised land. But I want you to watch what's happening now with Elijah. Elijah is preparing to leave the promised land. Why? (laughs) Because there's a day coming for all of us. We're going to leave the promised land behind and go to our heavenly home. And I'm convinced that Elisha needs to get on the other side of the river to make a decision on whether he's going back with a new anointing back into the land of promise. And so they're going through, they come, he's got to cross it, it's where God sent him to cross the Jordan River to get over to the other side and it's impossible, it can't happen. You can't get there. The supernatural was needed for them to move forward, to follow what God has said. They had to have something supernatural from God. There are places you'll face where there seems to be no way through you will face obstacles in your faith walk and you will always have legitimate reasons to stop moving forward. But you don't know how hard it is. You don't know the price I've had to pay. You don't know what that's gonna cost me. That's just too big a price. I've experienced enough and I'm gonna sit down right here. Where do we see that happen? We see that happen a lot with missionaries. Not stopping, but an impossible. Do you know that the average budget, I don't know what it is now, I'm a little bit out of touch, I haven't asked for a while, but I know that many of our missionaries have to raise $12,000 a month just to get to the field with a $100,000 cash budget to get there. That is a lot of money coming from donors. And some don't make it because it's impossible. In the time that we live, are you kidding? Are you aware of the economy? Do you have any idea what's happening to gas prices? (laughs) I'm about to get a horse. The Amish have something going for them. It's just too hard. And I've thought about and listened to the discussion. Now watch. Maybe we should change the system so that everybody gives to a central pot And then missionaries are just given a budget so they can get to the field. But the truth is, if you can't cross the Jordan of raising a budget, you're not going to be able to cross the other Jordans you'll face on the foreign field. If you cut a caterpillar out of its cocoon and stop the struggle, it will die. Don't tell me it's impossible. Don't tell me you can't move on. As long as God is alive and you're alive, there's still a chance for a miracle. There's still a chance for an opportunity. And missionaries demonstrate it over and over and over again. Well, that's just too much. What about churches that need to expand ministries? We can't afford it. God's calling me to tithe. I can't afford it it. I need to stop these habits, but I can't break them. I can't stop them. It's impossible. I can't get through. There's people that are standing in my way. Don't be a whiner or a crier when you get to the Jordan. If God said, cross the Jordan, then kick the water, step in. God will roll it back. He will make a way where there seems to be no way. Because in the book of Revelation, it says that he will open a door that he will shut doors that no man can open and if God has set you don't sit down and say well it's just too hard don't be a sissy right. <laughs> it's a Greek word <laughs> I'm sure there is one I'll find it by next Sunday the impossible it would have been easy to say well God must not have been in this it's going to cost too much <laughs> It's going to cost too much. Here's what I know. If God's in it, that's all I need to know. He'll bring it to pass. <laughs> but I like to be, I like to be in control of my destiny. I want to know I'm the guy. I startled me. I didn't see you move. Welcome. I didn't. <laughs> I start looking for a gas station when I get half a tank down. My wife looks for a gas station when it's running on fumes. (laughs) Not quite, but we live in a different world. So I take care of my truck and she takes care of her vehicle and we don't talk about it. I wanna know that I have enough to get there with some left over. But there are some times when God will take you. I could tell you stories I don't have time to where God made it clear You're going to have to trust me. And I drew a line to the edge of the table. I don't know what's going to happen when I get to the edge, but I know he's going to do something, and he's going to take me clear to the edge. And if I fall off, he'll catch me, or he'll do a miracle there. Something will happen because I'm not letting the Jordan River stop me from my calling, from my destiny, from a fresh touch from heaven. It sometimes will take the supernatural for you to break through the obstacle that's in the way of a fresh anointing from God. So where have you stopped? Are you sitting at the place of conversion? Happy that you got saved. Have you stopped at the place of worship? I just love experiencing his touch. Do you only have a testimony of a victory from 20 years ago? Or are you facing an impossible situation and you've given up? I don't care where you're camped out, but it's time to pack the camping gear. It's time to start marching again. It's time to start moving forward again. People get stuck. One of the biggest impossible places people get stuck is that bitterness. Somebody hurt their feelings, somebody wounded them, someone made them mad, and they're just sitting there sulking. Well, you will rot there. I had someone tell me this week said, "I about himself said, I will cut off my nose to spite my face." <laughs> you don't have to live there. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I'm just asking, where are you stuck? Because wherever you are, God wants you to move from conversion to worship. He wants you to move from worship to victory, and He wants you to move from victory to the impossible and there's a whole new anointing that God has for your life. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I just think this ought to be a moment that we decide we're gonna walk again, we're gonna march again, we're gonna grow again, we're gonna challenge new roads again. And this morning, if you're in a spot where you'd say, Pastor, I'm stuck, God put his finger on my heart and I've just stopped and I wanna get back in the march again. With no one looking around, if that's you, would you just acknowledge that to God this morning? Make this a, a morning that we're making a decision. Yes, thank you, thank you, yes, thank you, yes, yes. Hold your hand up in the balcony. I'm talking to you in the, in the chapel. If you're watching online, just hold your, yes, thank you, yes, yes. Hold your hand up. We're going to start marching again because there is no place for us to stop. No place to stop. As you're listening to the Spirit right now, I remember a Dear Abby question I read years ago. This lady was 60 years old and she wanted to go back to school and get her degree. And she said, Abby, if I go back to school, I'll be 64 when I get the degree in four years. And Abby said, If you don't go back to school, how old will you be in four years? You'll still be 64. What are you gonna do with what's in front of you? Let's stand together and let's make this our prayer this morning, Jesus, I won't turn back. I'm gonna keep pressing on. I'm gonna keep growing. I'm gonna give more. I'm trying to end really, but I feel like I want you to hear this. If you've been a faithful tither for a long time, but you haven't given to missions, it's time to grow and start giving to missions. If your missions pledge has been the same for 10 years, it's time to grow and step a little further. Come on, is anyone hearing me? It's time for you to decide something If you haven't shared your faith with anyone in a long time, just walk into a store and say, could you give me five minutes to tell you about Jesus? What's the worst that's going to happen? They won't kill you. They might throw you out of the store, but it'll be a great story to tell. Moving forward. Where are we going to move forward? I've never brought anyone to church, but next Sunday I'm going to bring someone and take them to lunch. I'm going to move forward. Is anyone hearing me this morning? That we would move forward in an area of our life. Just lift your hands now, worship Him, and ask Jesus to show you where you can move forward in your relationship to Him.
1: Spirits are rushing with fire of God, for within. Holy Ghost breathe on us sweet pray as we repent turn from sin revival members smoldering breath of God Self, yeah. Pour your spirit out. Pour. I feel like God's prompting me right
0: now to challenge you a step further. I know that it's easy for us to come in and leave the same, but if God has put... Uh, uh, his finger on your heart, that there's an area that you need to move forward. I want you to make a step by faith right now, more than raising your hand. I want you to step forward to testify, walk up into this altar area right now. We'll be done in just a minute to say, God, I'm moving forward. Whatever that area is, you're going to bring that with you. Whatever that is, I'm going to move forward. That's it. Just want you to come right now. And by faith, you're saying I'm moving forward and God touched my heart. There's an area where I'm going to move forward in my relationship with Jesus I'm going to move forward the because there's some others of you that need to come he's talking to you right now I want you to step out I want you to come I want you to come and he's got something new and fresh for you we're not going to camp out we're going to move forward and just as Pastor Nathan continues to lead us as God touches you just step forward in faith saying, I'm stepping in God I'm moving forward I want this to be my faith declaration I'm moving forward in you
1: fragrance of heaven pour your spirit out pour your spirit out we need a holy anointing a holy anointing the power power of your prayer, sing it out pour your spirit Jesus pour your soul oh declare a a freshman, the fresh wind, the fragrance sun pour your soul, pourabashin of a soul. We need a whole
0: presence help us not be willing to camp out and stay where you were but to move forward to where you are speak to us give us direction show us what to do Lord let a month from now be different in my life than it is today let a year from now be different in my life than it is today because I've chosen to follow you to the place of a fresh anointing. In Jesus' name. And everyone that loves him said, Amen. If you love the Lord, let me hear your hands this morning. What a great God we serve. Last thing I'm going to say, if you've never spoken in tongues, I dare you to find somewhere this afternoon to just say, God, I'm talking in tongues right now and he will meet you there. Some of you need to step forward in that and not be afraid. Where does he want you to step forward? Take that step and see what God will do. And I am done. God bless you. Shake someone's hand. Thank you for your giving, your faithful giving, all you do for us. Appreciate it so much. God bless.